0: sometimes the best thing you do in school is outside of the classroom Um, in terms of character development and working with people from different backgrounds and recognizing what excites you and interests you, um, that the quality of that experience makes you more open to innovation and, and real teamwork in the future. And that's not something that was ever emphasized when I was in school, but it wound up being the part of um, law school that, that I liked the most.
1: Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara.
0: Having a good idea doesn't get stuck. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about,
1: am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Voices of Santa Clara podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Cosgrave, and today's conversation is with Margaret Russell. She is a faculty member at Santa Clara's law school and serves as the university's interim associate provost for diversity and inclusion. Dr. Russell founded the East Palo Alto Community Law Project during her law degree at Stanford, and she has served on the board of the ACLU for over 30 years. Dr. Russell specializes in constitutional law and she's frequently quoted in Bay Area news sources about current events in politics. In this conversation, we discuss how Dr. Russell got interested in constitutional law and kind of her journey through her early career, um, taking on some meaningful projects and eventually um, joining Santa Clara. We talk about why lawyers are more like creative problem solvers than the stereotype you might have of law being boring. Um, We talk about what she learned from starting the East Palo Alto Community Law Project and advice she has for students on staying involved in political issues in our current times. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation. I'd love to start out by asking, how did you first get interested in law?
0: The memory that I distinctly have was being in high school during the Watergate hearings and uh, coming home from school and watching TV and seeing all these senators who at that time were all men on the um, the committee you know running the Watergate hearings and being kind of depressed because of the nature of um, the hearings but also excited by all the political discussion that I saw. So that was in high school and in college I didn't specifically think about law it wasn't a pre law I was a history major mm-hmm. and american studies and in the context of that I just started studying and thinking more about law school hmm. and decided to apply
1: mm-hmm. and what was it about american history that kind of captivated you
0: well i I liked. the I had a very good advisor who was a historian who had worked for L. B. for Lyndon Baines Johnson in the White House, and I think what excited me about American history was, I think, just kind of an early awareness and commitment to the political sphere, to um, wanting to make the country better, and it, it, history was a natural for me. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And then kind of moving through college, when did like law school come into focus or when did you decide that that would be an area that you wanted to pursue as a career?
0: Well, it's interesting. And and, uh, there was a major in my undergrad at Princeton that was much more known as the Mm pre-law area. And it was called the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. And so the, the friends of mine who were truly, you know, absolutely committed, they knew they were wanted to go to law school and then get out and become lawyers and politicians. They all were in that department. History was not necessarily filled with people who wanted to go to law school. But my friends, who were in this school of public and international affairs, um, were talking about law school. and So I, I, I wasn't specifically committed to it, but I kind of got swept up in this idea, okay, well, let me... Let me give this a try i'd also spent a summer um, in washington d c mm-hmm. uh, and one of my housemates that summer was an intern at the White House, mm-hmm. and he you know got passes for us sometimes to go and go to the fireworks and the concerts. so mm-hmm. I think just being in that intensely political public policy oriented sphere made me think about going to law school hmm.
1: so on on kind of that idea of American history and law, I guess, did you see like a, like a divide between the constitution and like where we were moving in the future? I guess that's kind of one of my bigger questions, right? Is like, how do, how do we view the constitution, right? Such an old document that's led America to be one of the most, at least economically prosperous nations, Mm -hmm. right? But also maybe presents challenges relating to race and other issues. So kind of how, how did you think about the Constitution? How did that thinking kind of form when you were younger?
0: I I remember being particularly interested in what we would now call social justice issues. That my um, my focus on civil rights, interest in civil rights, and uh, Martin Luther King and afterwards. He I actually was pretty quite young when he was assassinated, but the influence that he had uh, was enormous in my community. And then as I went on to college, I think in the direction that I decided to go into. So I think um, rather than seeing the constitution as an abstract document or idea, I thought about the bill of rights, the amendments to the constitution, particularly as An embodiment of a commitment to equality that I really wanted to be a part of.
1: Mm -hmm. And then, what did kind of the first couple years of your career after law school look like, and how did they kind of inform what you wanted to do going forward?
0: Um, Well, they they were pretty influential. Uh, I right after law school, I clerked for a federal district judge in Madison, Wisconsin, and. Um, that path, a, a one-year clerkship after graduation from law school, is one that is um, desired by you know, a, a lot of law students, a lot of law graduates, graduates, because it gives one the opportunity to be mentored by someone um, who, from the judicial branch whose job really is to look at both sides. And so during that clerkship, I had this great opportunity with a wonderful judge to um to, to do research but also to go into court and observe all different kinds of lawyers criminal and civil and see how they did their work in all different areas of practice because this was this was a federal trial court and presumably almost any kind of dispute could have wound up in federal trial court, uh, because they, they don't just hear federal actions. They can hear state-based law actions. Mm-hmm. So I did that for one year, and it was a totally different part of the country, which was kind of fun, um, except for the cold, cold winter. And uh, and then since I had gone to law school in California, I in the Bay Area, I decided to look for jobs after that. And my first job was as a uh, law fellow at a place called Public Advocates, which is a private nonprofit civil rights firm in San Francisco uh, that still exists. And they focused a lot on um, homelessness and consumer rights, educational equality. And I spent a year doing that. And then I was hired back at my alma mater, Stanford Law School, to start their public interest programs. So I would say that pretty much for the five years or so between graduating from law school, taking the bar and then going into teaching, I was immersed in a lot of different um, organizations and uh, emphasis on civil rights, civil liberties, the ACLU uh, in in the bay area hmm. and I met a lot of very um, inspiring people
1: hmm. yeah wow there's a lot a lot in there. What was that process of starting those programs at Stanford like or what uh what types of issues issues did you want to focus on and kind of what did you learn through the process of
0: that? Well it's interesting now um I think there's much more explicit emphasis on public interest law public interest programs uh, diversity and equity but at that time uh there was no such thing at my law school there wasn't a public interest distinct emphasis. There weren't uh, clinics at the time where students could actually work on actual cases. So when I was in law school, um, a group of law students, uh, I worked with a group of law students and we started a community law center in East Palo Alto. And that was really exciting actually because we didn't know what we were doing, and but we had a lot of enthusiasm. We wanted to provide Uh, opportunities for students to to go into the community near Stanford to actually see what a lower-income community was like and the disparity between that and the university and to help people so we raised money we organized a board we got incorporated as a nonprofit and we emphasized um, we hired lawyers who would emphasize uh, tenants rights consumer rights um, Public benefits for a pretty poor comu- poor community, and so that experience, while I was still a law student, led the dean of the law school to hire me a couple of years later to as a you know a full time employee to work on developing more uh, uh, of a community in the law school to focus on public interest. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And you you were involved with that East Palo Alto Community Law Program for a while, right? So, what like impact were, were you able to have, or how did it kind of did it change you as a person in any way? With kind of merging all your like classroom experience into mm-hmm. into a community in right around you.
0: Well, so starting the East Palo Alto Community Law Project in law school was actually instrumental in a couple of ways, in that. It, wasn't a, it It didn't at all fit into the, sort of the normal course of what one would expect in law school. So, for example, it was a quote-unquote extracurricular activity that had no name for a while. We didn't have a name before we opened the office, so, and it was completely volunteer. It was for a while unsupervised by any kind of faculty advisor, although we wound up getting a lot of support from the faculty. And what I learned from it, and that I kind of carry forward now when I talk to students, is that sometimes the best thing you do in school is outside of the classroom um, in terms of character development and working with people from different backgrounds and recognizing what excites you and interests you, um, that the quality of that experience makes you more open to innovation and, and real teamwork in the future. And that's not something that was ever emphasized when I was in school, but it wound up being the part of um, law school that, that I liked the most.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like that's very different than the kind of standard lawyer job that you imagine, you know, like sitting in an office for 12 hours and doing
0: having somebody give you, right?
1: Yeah. But that kind of like community immersion isn't what first comes to mind when people think of law. And it's like how should how should people perceive law? Cuz I feel like to a lot of people or like to someone like me, like law and government seem like such bureaucratic institutions that it's like I don't want to mess with it. And maybe the people in the communities as well maybe felt distanced from the law. I don't know, but how do you how do you kinda of think about those issues?
0: Well, you know, law is is so many things now that I think the the stereotype um, which really does exist of one part of law of uh, you know, you're just kind of sitting and following orders and uh, and typing and sitting at your computer. You know, that that's sort of the image that's very dull and bureaucratic, as you mentioned. But lawyers do so many things. I mean, lawyers who work with real clients um, have to exercise a lot of skills that don't have to do with the law per se, but um, they're critical in gaining the trust of a client, in knowing how to advise them, in um, negotiating, uh, and finding alternative avenues to litigation. And so, I think that the a better vision of the lawyer today should be, and increasingly is, is a, a creative problem solver, hmm. and not a you know not a paper pusher. Hmm.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. You you were also involved for um, a while with the American Civil Liberties. Union. I still live. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what kind of how did that start and what does that involvement look like?
0: So when I just started out in uh, after when I moved back to the Bay Area after my clerkship, I was contacted by a, a college friend that I didn't even really know that well, and she said, "Hey, I hear you're living in San Francisco. Would you consider?" Um, getting active with the San Francisco chapter of the ACLU. They need board members, they need new ideas and so this uh, was the beginning of what has now been you know, over three decades of connection to the ACLU. First in Northern California and for the last 15 years nationally um, because I've been on the national board for a long time. I think when I started I knew so little about the ACLU's work and as I realized that it involves really constitutional rights you know the the all rights for all people is the way that we now describe it that I wound up learning about freedom of speech issues and equal protection, um, criminal justice issues all of that is and and more um, is part of the the work of the ACLU and so it was a it was a great kind of post law school education mm-hmm. in what the Constitution means and why it's important because most of the people that work at the grassroots level with the ACLU are not lawyers mm-hmm. uh, and they're just everyday people who are very concerned about. Um, protecting our rights and making sure that our country remains a free country. Mm -hmm. So um, this decades-long involvement with the ACLU, I would say has been um, a big, as a part of my professional sense of priorities Mm -hmm. as anything else that I've done.
1: Are there any like conversations either in in board meetings or events around the ALCU that really kind of sticking your mind as transformative, or impactful, or just really memorable?
0: Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we actually just had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and just to give you some examples, so um, we have policy committees at the national board level, and uh, the the kinds of First, we hear a lot about what is going on in the work of the staff of the ACLU. and. We talk about developing policies about things like campaign finance and expenditure of funds. Um, We talk about the Second Amendment. We've talked about school rights. We've talked about impeachment. Uh, I mean, we have really run the full gamut of discussions Hmm. at board meetings. Hmm.
1: And then how to like how much impact can one organization like that really have on such large national?
0: issues? You know, the ACLU has had enormous impact. In 2020, we'll be celebrating our 100th anniversary um, as an organization. And the, the ACLU was actually started during, um, you know, the so-called Red Scare when a lot of immigrants and um, political dissidents were were rounded up, and there was an effort to deport them, to send them out of the country. Times have not changed in certain ways, and the kinds of work that I'm proudest of that we're involved in now have to do with the separations of families um, at the border, separations of immigrants, um, the protection of free speech rights, of really people of all different kinds of views. LGBT rights, uh, racial justice. Um, we just had a big session at the most recent board meeting about um, incarceration and ways to combat um, systemic m- mass incarceration. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, another area I kinda wanna touch on is maybe like our our current world from like a student's perspective, right? And so I think, um, for a lot of people it's easy to kind of disengage or maybe it's more it's more almost uh, it's more productive for your mental state to like disengage right but how do you how should a student think about like law and politics and being engaged without being overwhelmed or feeling powerless or how how do you kind of balance those dynamics in our world today?
0: I completely um, relate to that feeling of being overwhelmed because I have to say even in my whole lifetime of political involvement and activism in a lot of ways this seems like the most challenging time ever Um, not just because I disagree with so much of what is happening um, you know in the presidency and and uh this administration, but because people the the default mechanism of people on many different sides of an issue seems to be to ridicule and fight with the other side, and I am a believer in resolving differences and resolving disputes through communication. But uh, there's a lot of hostility right now. There's hostility and flooding social media with you know really caustic and negative things. And so i I can understand why students would just think this is this is just overwhelming. It's so negative. It's so difficult and depressing. but but what I would really impress upon um, students is that you, in a lot of ways, you can control how much of that floods over you and and gets to you. And and I, I am a great believer in sort of setting boundaries so that you can figure out your way of helping society and helping the world without letting everything, you know, all the news every day, 24 hours a day, social media, just kind of flood you with negativity. Because mm-hmm. um, I think that can be very exhausting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When you're teaching... Classes. Obviously, there's a lot of material that you're covering, but are there any kind of like deeper messages or values that you try to communicate to students when you're, when you're teaching?
0: Um, so, in the last couple of years, I've especially taught um, constitutional law, which actually I've taught as, as long as I've been at Santa Clara, and a newer course in restorative justice. And then just this fall, a newer course in a brand new course for me in gender and law. And I think constitutional law, restorative justice gender and law they're all justice oriented courses that try to convey that the law is should be used for good to improve people's lives so um, the val- I think the values that that I try to impart are really you know in some ways they're, they're Santa Clara um, mission values of social justice of compassion. Um, and concern for the rights of the disadvantaged.
1: Are, are you optimistic about the future? And if so, why and if not, why?
0: <clears throat> I want to be honest During <laughs> this. I am optimistic about certain parts of what I see going on. So the energy of um, younger people in getting involved in this last set of national elections, um, the creativity of a lot of youth social movements, uh, that incur- that actually um, gives me some hope. There are certain problems that I think are so deep at, that I can't say I'm optimistic about them. And one of them is, is climate change. Uh, I think that we've really ruined the planet in lots of ways that we didn't even Think about or know about, and I do worry about that. Um, and my own daughter is; she actually works for a marine institute in Southern California, and so I've really learned through her and um, her friends a lot of what's happened to the oceans, and that's a really great concern to me. Um, so a lot of the mess that we've created already makes me feel not optimistic. But then when I think about inspiring people, um, that is that gives me hope Mm
1: -hmm. and what would you say that up to this point in your career you're most proud of
0: definitely well there are a couple things definitely is the the um, creation of the clinic in East Palo Alto um, which has since closed but there are legal services for low-income people in East Palo Alto and I think our clinic had a lot to do with it Um, I am proud of um, the work I've done at Santa Clara with the Center for Social Justice, uh, because that is one of three centers in the law school, the Global Law and Policy Center and the High Tech Center, and then there's the Social Justice Center that really tries to um, introduce students to social justice careers, ways that they can afford actually taking those jobs, which generally are, are less well-paying, and bringing in a lot of great speakers and individuals to this campus. Um, so I'm very happy about that.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up with a couple shorter questions. OK. So, uh, First of all, are there any favorite places that you've traveled?
0: Yes. Um, I had a Fulbright Fellowship in Tanzania. Mm-hmm a couple of years ago and I chose Tanzania because I had never been to the continent of Africa I knew very little about any of the countries and I just wanted to um, explore something brand new Mm. and my research project had to do with women in the judiciary in Tanzania and that has become one of my favorite places uh, you know not just because it was such a you know an eye-opening Experience in a very different culture, but because the um, the beauty of safaris and wildlife are they're just like nothing I've ever seen. So you know that's an indelible impression. Um, I have my mother and her family were all from Japan, and um, and I love uh, the two trips that I've taken to to Japan, and I'm looking forward to going back pretty soon.
1: Um, Why Japan? What about it?
0: Do you, you know, it's interesting. It's uh, like Tanzania, I mean, and Africa. It's part of my ancestry, and it's so different from the United States. Um, obviously, Tanzania and Japan are different from each other, but the culture um, is, I would say, in Japan is so much more attentive to um politeness and aesthetic you know kind of beauty and orderliness that um it's it's just such a treat to get away from what society is like here which Mm -hmm. i think is not so much like that Mm -hmm. um so
1: yeah if there was a first year student coming into santa clara and you could give them a piece of advice what would you tell them
0: Keep up with your work, <laughs> but, uh, but remember that um, you're at the center of your education. You're not here to meet other people's expectations. You're here to learn about who you are and what you want to be.
1: And if you could send a message to everyone in the United States, what would you want to say?
0: Treat each other better. <laughs> That's kind of bottom line.
1: Finally, what does an ideal Saturday look like for you?
0: Ideal Saturday would be um, not commuting. I live uh, in Oakland, so being out of the car on the weekend is important. Um, being outside a lot, I think, doing some you know, reading for pleasure. I love music, so you know, often, you know, hanging out with loved ones, going out to hear live music which a couple of years ago, I I sort of made a promise to myself that I love live music so much that I was just gonna make that a certain part of my budget every year. So I do that. And I like jazz and blues and folk and lots of different kinds of music, classical.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can go to voicesofsantaclara.com to read a partial transcript of this episode, follow on Twitter at VoicesOfSCU, or leave a review on the Apple podcast app. I'll see you next time.